We will take a little bit of a doctrinal uh, look at the incarnation of Christ, the incarnation of Christ. And uh, I want to uh, look at five ways in which Christ emptied himself. Okay? Now, emptied himself has been a phrase that is the literal translation from Philippians 2 and verse number 7. And it is the phrase that is translated in the King James, but made himself of no reputation. And the, I'm not even going to try to pronounce the Greek word, because I, I can't pronounce it correctly. But I remember in doctrines class, in seminary, in undergrad, we, we dealt with this passage because there's been a misunderstanding through the years about this phrase that is translated, made himself of no reputation, which literally means emptied himself. In what ways did Christ empty himself? Okay, And the biggest question is, did Christ cease to be God? And there are people who have taught that when Christ became a man at the incarnation, he ceased to become, he ceased to be God for roughly 33 and a half years. That is not what the scripture teaches. Uh, there is a theological term or phrase called the hypostatic union. And some of you are like, is that having to do with electricity? <laughs> no, hypostatic union just has to do with the union of Christ's deity and his human flesh. Okay, that is something that our little peewee brains cannot fully comprehend. We have a soul and we have a body. And we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We're to glorify God with our spirit and with our body. Our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we live in a culture that basically teaches that the body is just this mass of flesh that we control with our mind and it does not have any value other than what my deep, authentic self determines my body to be or to do for my personal pleasure. And we can make a thousand applications with that. And we can see the moral reprobate society in which we live and the way in which the body is used and misused and abused and used for all kinds of immoral and wicked purposes. Now to the point that in Canada, they have passed a piece of legislation, and if I remember right, it's called the MAID Act, M-A-I-D. And basically, you can subscribe to euthanasia for something as insignificant as back pain. As a matter of fact, a lady was suffering from chronic back pain, and the medical doctor said, have you considered euthanasia? Have you considered assisted suicide? That's where this is going. Again, Satan seeks to destroy. Satan is a liar, and he is a murderer, and he wants to destroy. So did God, excuse me, did Christ cease to be God when he became man? No. But he is 100% God and 100% man in what is referred to theologically as the hypostatic union. Again, 
that is difficult for us to fully comprehend. Okay? But that is what the Bible teaches. That is the truth. And that holds significant value because if Christ was not 100% man, then his atonement was not effective for man. And if he's not 100% God, then there's no application of the soteriological principles or the eternal salvation that can be applied to man. So both are theologically important. They're both foundational, fundamental doctrines upon even which the gospel is upheld. And we could even go so far as to say that it affects even the virgin birth or the virgin conception. Because then if he is just a man, then maybe he did get conceived by one of these immoral, blasphemous theories that are out there, including what was propagated in the Da Vinci Code several years ago by Dan Brown and these different Gnostic theories. If he's 100% God, then in a different sense, he is a, a super being, a superhero, a person who walked around like a mythical god, but he wasn't really man, and therefore his atonement was not vicarious for the sins of mankind, and he could not identify with us in our infirmities. He would not be the great high priest who was touched with the feelings of our infirmities if he was just God and he was just some super being who walked around on the earth. And then that means the Bible is lying when it says that he is touched with the feelings of our infirmities and he was tempted as in all points like as we are, yet without sin. See how this becomes foundational? This is fundamental to our faith, that Jesus Christ is 100% God and 100% man. So when Philippians 2 and verse 7 says, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men, it means that, yes, he became flesh. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, John 1. So literally in the translation in the original language, This phrase, made himself of no reputation, means to empty, to empty. Okay, so we're going to look at five ways or aspects of this emptying that have nothing to do with Christ ceasing to be God or not being 100% man. We are keeping this foundational, fundamental doctrine intact that Jesus Christ is 100% God and 100% man, but we have to understand this from the scripture and what this means. This phrase in Romans 4, in verse 14, we see it translated made void. In 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 17, made of none effect. 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 15, again, make void. And in 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 3, should be vain. Okay, so those are four other places in Scripture where this phrase, this Greek phrase, is, is used. And it is translated in those ways in those four passages. Speaking to the fact that Christ humbled himself. 
he humbled himself. Void, of none effect, should be vain, does not speak to, it's not saying, not teaching, that Christ ceased to be God, that his divinity was made void, or that his divinity was made of none effect. That is not what those phrases are saying. And it's to the integrity and to the, what can I say, the, the, the humility, to the reverence of the King James translators to translate the phrase, make him, made himself of no reputation. That, that speaks to, the, again, the reverence that the King James translators had for the divinity of Christ in protecting the divinity of Christ in the way they even translated. Okay, so literally, we could even go so far as to say that this making void or making of none effect, of no reputation, it means that Christ humbled himself and he did not hold on to rank or privilege. He did not take the form of God as something to be grasped and held on to that would prevent him from coming to earth and becoming a man and being born as a human baby is born and dying a death as a human would die, a violent bloody death. He did not so hold on to the privileges in heaven that he refused to come and take on human flesh and have all the sinless infirmities of human flesh and die on the cross for our sins. It speaks to his humility. It speaks to his willingness to be a servant and be made in the likeness of men. He set aside the outward manifestation of his majesty, of his Shekinah glory. Do we see a manifestation of his Shekinah glory at the Christmas time, at his birth? In what sense? In, in what way do we see it? A little bit of a... The star, good. Okay, I don't know if anybody else was... Yes, David. The angels as well. Good. Good examples. Okay. Now... If Jesus came in the fullness of God's Shekinah glory, what would have happened to us? What would have happened to man? We'd have been consumed. We'd have been gone. The closest that any man came, I believe was Moses at Mount Sinai, who was hidden in the cleft of the rock and he only saw the hinder parts. He only saw a veiled, shadowed, Heart of God's glory. And it so struck him that he came down from the mountain and people were doing this and he had to wear a veil. Okay? There was even a veil between the, uh, the open part of the tabernacle temple and the Holy of Holies. Okay? And you could, the, the high priest going to go in there once a year. And if he went in with any kind of blemish, any kind of sin, he, he was struck down. OK? 
Okay, so we see the holiness of God. We see the glory of God. So no man can see God in the fullness of his glory and live. Okay, but God sent his son because he loved us so much. And he sent him in the form of human flesh, made in the likeness of men. He emptied himself in these five ways. First of all, first of all, he set aside the glories of heaven. Okay? In no way did he cease to be God. But he, first of all, set aside the glories of heaven. He left heaven's splendor to be born as a normal human being. A Jew. A Jew, a Jewish man, a male Jew. Okay. He came and was born like a normal human being was born. That in and of itself is humility and is hard for us to fully comprehend how God would even desire in love for us as sinners to be born as a normal human being? to go through the gestational period in his mother's womb, in in Mary's womb. I mean, just that alone is is hard to imagine. He lived lived among what would have been considered, even in that day, poor people. He was born in a a, a stable. Uh, he, He was laid in a manger in swaddling clothes. He wasn't born in the nicest hospital in Jerusalem, among the kings or in the nicest place that the chief priests and the elders would be born, their children would be born. He was born in a stable, as we talked about last week, as we know the Christmas story very well. He grew up in Nazareth, an unremarkable town in less prestigious Galilee, not in even Judea, that held the capital, Jerusalem. As a matter of fact, in Jesus' ministry, it was even said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? That was even one of the accusations. So he left, or he set aside temporarily, the glories of heaven. Now again, most of us, most of us wouldn't even stop in a bad part of town to get a gallon of milk, to get a tank of gas, to run inside the convenience store and get a snack. And we've been in some bad places. I know that traveling, you sometimes just have to go uh, wherever you can get off. And there's not a Bucky's at every, um, at every uh, stop, right? Um, I don't know if any of you have experienced Bucky's. It's, it's quite the experience. Uh, we try to, now, now we try to time it. So we leave our house if we're going down to Greenville. Uh, to pick up Emily or to see Emily. Now we try to time it. We get our gas, we fill up here, and we can get to Richmond, Kentucky. And then we can fill up at Bucky's. And what was it, two eighty nine a gallon? I mean, that's high for Trump era prices. But, you know, two eighty nine a gallon, I think, is what she paid um, a few weeks ago. And so we try to get to Richmond, and then we fill up there, and then we try to get all the way into to Greenville. Uh, from there uh, with our van. We get fairly decent gas mileage. 
Um, so now we've kind of timed it where we try to get to, to Bucky's, get the best best deal. And you can get everything that you want want to eat, and you can even buy a uh, an outdoor fireplace. You could buy a grill. Um, I mean, they got just about everything. All right, one one stop shop. Okay, but you know how it is. Sometimes you stop at a uh, you're driving down the highway, or you're you, you time it so that you avoid certain stops. You try to avoid certain parts of town at certain times of night. I mean, there were places around Indianapolis we didn't dare stop in those places, uh, especially after dark. I remember being in Kenya, and the missionary that one of the missionaries that I uh, worked with. He, he, he would drive after dark. A lot of the missionaries, they wouldn't drive after dark. He would drive after dark, and one time we went into a really bad part of Nairobi, and he uh, looked over at me and he said, don't tell your parents where I'm taking you. <laughs> and he said, as a matter of fact, he said, why don't you get away from the window of the car and kind of slump down a little bit so that they don't see, I don't mean this in any racist way, but he said, so they don't see two white men in the car in this part of town at this time of night. Okay. It would not be unusual if they saw a white man driving in that part of town. They would sometimes come out into the street and they'd throw themselves on the vehicle and claim that you hit them. And then they would surround the car and try to get money from, from us. So he was warning me. And he said, this is not normally the way I would take home. But there was a traffic jam, and we went through that part of town, and he warned me. And he was like, we are not stopping anywhere. <laughs> we're, just, we're just going. We wouldn't go to a bad part of town to even so much as buy a snack. But Christ left the glories of heaven to come to this sin-cursed earth to deal with sin-cursed people like you and me. And we struggle with relationships. We struggle relationships are hard. That's one of the reasons why we are going more and more to a virtual society because we don't like people. People are trouble. People are work. People are immoral. People are cantankerous. I, I've, I don't ever like to say it. I don't ever want it to come out of my mouth. The ministry would be wonderful if it weren't for the people. <laughs> I don't ever want those words to come out of my mouth because people are all we have. I've been called to work with people, and it's hard sometimes, especially when you're dealing with sacred cows called children and the idol of money. Those kinds of things make it even harder because when you're dealing with a child and you're dealing with a person's money, people will do all sorts of evil to protect their money and to defend their children, even if their children are doing evil. Uh, someone has even said, I'm against certain sins, except when it has to do with me or my children. Politicians like to use that line. I'm publicly against a particular sin, a particular evil in society, except when it affects me and my children. Okay? Compromisers is what they are. But we don't go to bad places of town We'll even refuse to shop at Goodwills and Salvation Armies, the secondhand shops. Some people, they, they, they won't touch. 
You ever walk into a fancy area like north side of Indianapolis? There's something called the Fashion Mall. And you walk in there, and we feel like fish out of water. I mean, you walk into the one store, and it's a $350 pair of jeans that have holes in them. I would come home from school with a hole in my jeans, and my mom and dad would throw a fit because they just bought those last week at, it wouldn't have been Walmart back in those days. It would have been Target or JCPenney or Kmart. Kmart, yes, Kmart, thank you. The blue light special. <laughs> Where is that gone? But I would be in trouble if I came home from school with a hole in my pants. Now you aren't high class unless you have $350 pairs of jeans with huge rips in them. You know? But we avoid people that smell bad, that have bad habits or bad hygiene. We refuse to wear, I know some places, some people, they won't even wear generic labeled clothing. Who wants to wear the George brand from Walmart, right? You go into Dick's, and it's Under Armour and Nike and Adidas and Columbia, and then there's the unwashed masses that go over to the, the uh, generic brand. I forget the name of it. It has the little, little label on it, you know? And uh, don't be caught wearing one of those. The, the DG brand or whatever it is, okay? I'm not saying it's wrong to wear Columbia or Nike or Adidas, but some people, and I'm, I'm not joking, I knew a family that the hat had to be Nike, the shirt and the overshirt, the sweatshirt, the jacket, all had to be Nike, the athletic pants had to be Nike, the socks had to be Nike, and the shoes had to be Nike. And the label, the Nike logo, had to show prominently on all of those places so everybody knew they shopped Nike. They were status. And that's where our society's at. Status, image, being able to lord over people that you have money, that you have status, that you have image. Jesus had all of the glory of heaven to enjoy, and he left it for you and me. He emptied himself in that he set aside the glories of heaven, was willing to come to a sin-cursed earth and deal with sinful people and even go to the cross and die for us. In his ministry, he witnessed to Samaritans going through the land of Samaria. He ate with publicans and sinners. He even called publicans and fishermen and sons of thunder to be his disciples. I know people in fundamentalism that would separate from Jesus Christ because he chose a Peter and a James and a John to be his disciples. I mean, there are people in fundamentalism that, oh, how dare you choose a Peter? That loud mouth, big mouth, arrogant, sons of thunder. Don't you know they were wanting fire and brimstone to come down on those sinners? A publican, a tax collector? Oh, we don't, you know, we don't associate ourselves with those people. I'm not saying that they should be our best friends. Unsaved people shouldn't be our closest friendships, our closest relationships. I'm not saying unsaved people ought to be where we're at all the time and enjoying all their activities. That's not what I'm saying. But we are in the world, not to be of the world, and we have to reach these people with the gospel, and Jesus modeled that for us. And he left the glories of heaven to do so. 
Ephesians 4 is a misunderstood passage. Ephesians chapter number 4. Okay. Ephesians 4 and verses 8 through 10. Ephesians 4 and verses 8 through 10. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens that he might fill all things. And people try to say that at Jesus' death, while he was in the grave, he went down into hell and he preached to all the people in hell and declared victory over sin and death and the grave. I personally don't believe that's what Jesus did during those days that he was in the tomb. Okay? I don't believe he went down to hell, Hades, and preached to the souls there and declared victory over them. Uh, and people like to use Ephesians 4, 8 through 10 to try to teach that. And I'm not saying that people who teach that are reprobates. <laughs> I'm just saying I believe that when it says he descended first into the lower parts of the earth, that's here. That's us. That's earth. The lowest parts of the earth means he even went into the most despicable places to reach sinners with the gospel. He went to a Samaria. He went into places of the world that would have been considered you know, places you don't go in order to reach people with the gospel. He went into the home of Zacchaeus, a tax collector, who was the offscouring of society, and he preached the gospel to him, and Zacchaeus got saved. I mean, that's what it means by the lowest parts of the earth. It doesn't mean he went down into hell. I don't believe that. But people use that, and I wanted to at least bring that up. And uh, I know that that might create some discussion later, but I, I at least wanted to touch on that. So he emptied himself in that he set aside the glories of heaven. Number two, he emptied himself in that he submitted himself to the Father. Ephesians, or excuse me, Philippians 2 in verse number 8. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Being found in fashion as a man, humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He obeyed. Now, someone find Matthew 26 in verse 39. And then if somebody can find John 5 in verse number 30. Matthew 26 in verse 39, and then John 5 in verse 30. Someone have Matthew 26, 39? Sam, if you don't mind reading that for us. Thank you. And then John 5 and verse 30. Heather has that one. I can of mine, mine own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of the Father which hath sent me. Thank you. And then in John 4 and verse 34, Jesus said, My meat, my food, is to do the will of him that sent me. So he talks about doing the will of the Father, yet he is God. And God is one, one God, in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Okay? Again, our little brains struggle with understanding that fully. We 
accept it by faith because God's word teaches it. Okay, and it's a reminder once again that he is God and we are not him. Okay, sometimes we have to just remember that the secret things belong to the Lord because he is God and he always will be God and we are not him. And we are never going to be him. The Mormons, they teach that you're going to eventually reach a godlike status like Jesus and uh, men are going to populate their own planet one day, all that nonsense, okay? All right. We are not going to achieve deity. Our goal is not to be so great and so good so that we can become deified. Only God is God. But Jesus Christ, in the perfect holiness of the Trinity, Jesus Christ still submitted himself to the Father as the Son who was here on this earth doing the will of the Father, okay? Have you ever met people who like to pull rank? I think that's the, the phrase that's sometimes used. They pull rank. They have a title. They have maybe a position. And they like to show off their authority. You ever met people like that? They, they, they micromanage. They try to control everything. They frequently let people know that they are in charge. Okay. Sometimes a husband can be this way with his wife and he micromanages her and controls her and he has a wrong view of authority and he lets her know that she is the doormat and he is the king and he sits in his sofa chair when he comes home from work and honey, get me a cup of coffee, honey, get me a bowl of ice cream, honey, 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 serve me, serve me, serve me. Okay, you deal with that for a while and usually a wife like that says, you get your own. And then she makes a decision to go somewhere else. Sometimes she finds a man at work who doesn't treat her that way, and then bad things happen. Anyway, what about a pastor? A pastor can do this. A pastor can get the wrong view of authority. And I've known pastors like this, and I desire never to be like this, but he has to micromanage and control everything. He can't even have deacons because deacons would threaten his authority. He has to have control over everything. You have to get permission from the pastor in order to go on vacation. Then you have to tell me where you went to church while you were on vacation. I mean, there are men like that. I know a, a, a church that went under in Terre Haute. When we were in Terre Haute, there were still people who talked about the church that went under. And the pastor had that view. He controlled anything and everything. And people even had to call him and get permission to, to go places. And uh, one of the men who was in that church, uh, left that church and was on staff at our former ministry. And when I became the principal of the school, he would be gone on a Sunday for something. And he would tell me on Friday before we left the school, he said, now I want you to know that I'm going to be with family at such and such a church and that's where we're going to be, and I'm going to be visiting family. And after a while, he realized, it's okay, you don't, you don't have to tell me. Now, if you're gone for four weeks, or you don't show up Monday morning at 8 o'clock, you know, <laughs> there's going to be a conversation. And, and I want our church people to be faithful, but I'm not here to be the fourth part of the Trinity, or the, you know, the, the third part of the Holy Spirit. Or, I'm, that, okay, I'm, I'm, that's not my job. I, I want there to be accountability, and I want to shepherd you, 
Okay, and sometimes the shepherd has to uh, get down in the ditch or go to down by the water or pull a, sh- a sheep out of the, thir- the, the, the thorns and the briars. Okay, but there are people who they want to pull rank all the time. And you know how people are like that. I mean, you've been in places of, of work, and they're usually the ones who do the least amount of work. They won't pick up a trash can. They won't scrub a toilet. They won't vacuum the floor. They won't do anything to blow their rank. But boy, they're quick to, you know, boss people around. Earl? Amen. Hey, amen. Praise, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I mean, grace, grace of God. And, you know, it is, it is a frustration when a pastor falls in the ministry and you find out that he pulled rank for years. And at some point in his ministry, he began to hide his sins while he continued to push his authority on the church. And in the meantime, he's got a secret life. And it's particularly disgusting when it's a nationally known pastor or leader, and there was one not that long ago who had a lot of people fooled for a long time. And it resulted in that person's ministry actually completely folding, from what I understand. And uh, it's just sad when that happens. But eventually that pulling of rank hides... Uh, uh, an unseemly, immoral life many times behind the scenes. But again, is that how Jesus lived when he was here on this earth? He emptied himself in that he submitted to the will of the Father as the incarnation, the, 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 the incarnate God. Yet he submitted himself to the Father. Okay? Uh, a quick illustration of this, um, maybe if I can pick on Denny for a minute, okay? <laughs> pick on, okay, I have Doug's permission, Denny, to pick on you. <laughs> Denny, Denny, is, Denny runs the security team, okay? I don't run the security team, but Denny submits the security team to his pastor. And I'm not saying this as a, you know, I'm just saying Denny runs things by me. He gives me the notes. He gives me the schedule. He gives me training uh, information. He invites me to training sessions. Um, I come as often as I can. But Denny and I have a a relationship where I trust Denny with the leadership of the security team, and I try not to micromanage and control him. Now, if Denny wants to set up an anti-aircraft gun on the top of the church, (laughs) and he wants wants to put a machine gun nest at the front doors, Denny and I are going to be having a conversation, okay? You know, um, there are certain policies that we've put in place, and we, and we try to uh, help church members uh, stay in, in those policies, and we try to be reasonable, reasonable about those. And at the same time, Denny's not running around like a cowboy trying to let everybody know that he's the head of the security team, and then security team is who really runs this church. You know, he is, Denny and I are equals. As a matter of fact, He's 
Sorry, Denny, he's older <laughs> than me. <laughs> he's got a lot more experience than me. In, 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 in some ways, in many ways, he's smarter than me. But he submits to my pastoral leadership. At the same time, I submit to him when it comes to security so that we have a good relationship and the security team is able to function properly and reasonably. We do that all the time. It's not foreign to us. We do it in our, in our homes, husbands and wives. If we don't submit ourselves one to another in the fear of God, then what happens in our homes? There's friction. There's division. And I, I say it to, to young people, to, to single adults. Learn now to submit yourselves one to another. It's good to have roommates. It's good to have a big family. It's good to have to share a room once in a while. It's good to have to get hand-me-downs. It's good to have to share in the chores. It's good to have to rub shoulders with people and to learn how to get along with people because those are going to be teaching you for how to get along with a spouse. Okay? At some point, you have to learn how to give and take or it's going to be like this. And no marriage lasts but very long, or it turns into a practical divorce where two people live in the same house and they remain married, but they're not together. Okay? And that's no good either. Okay? But we see in the example of Jesus Christ a submission to the Father, though he is co-equal in glory. Yet he emptied himself in that he submitted to the will of the Father, even to the point that he said that he didn't even know the day of the the coming of his second coming. I mean, that's incredible, uh, the, the submission, the humility there. A third way, and we'll probably only have time to get to the third point and just barely touch on it, and we'll come back to this, uh, Lord willing, next week. But a third way in which Christ emptied himself is he surrendered the independent exercise of his divine attributes. He never ceased to be God. Okay, But he only performed miracles in accordance with the Father's will and timing. Okay, So, what did Jesus do? This is just one area of example. What did Jesus do in his growing up years? Did he... Go ahead. Submitted to his parents. Excellent. Did he, did he run around with the kids in the street? And show off his power and wow the crowds? And did he go into the carpenter's shop with Joseph and say, and out came a piece of furniture? Some of you who work with wood or work with stone, you'd, it'd be nice, wouldn't it? Um, Dave did excellent work on those frames back there. I mean, I was uh, amazed. He was texting me back and forth as he was completing different sections of that. And I mean, I. I don't, have, I don't even have an ounce of that talent. But Jesus wasn't showing off his divine attributes in his childhood. He wasn't taking a, a bowl of milk or water in, at home and parting the waters, you know, showing off. He, he wasn't doing that. He, he submitted even those independent exercises of his divine attributes to God. It wasn't until the wedding at Cana at the age of 30 that he performed, from what we understand, his first miracle as the incarnate God. 
I mean, again, this is hard for us to, to completely comprehend. He, he didn't show off his miracle-working ability. He didn't just do random miracles, you know, willy-nilly, to show off his power, to sell tickets at the Roman amphitheater and the different places around. He didn't just do a, a power uh, type of event so he could get a crowd and get a big offering and then he could go on national tour and sell tickets on Ticketmaster, right? He didn't do that. That wasn't his goal. And again, he didn't come as like a godlike creature, like a, like a mythical god of the Greeks and the Romans who, who walked around as like a superhero mesmerizing the crowd with all of his superpowers. But that's, what, that's, the, that's the mentality we have because of DC Comics and Marvel. And please forgive me, I don't know who's on which side. I don't know who's Marvel and I don't know who's DC. I am sorry. I, am, I have children who, who, who know who's who. And I still, I can't keep them straight. Superman is on one, right? Superman is DC, okay. Um, Where's Spider-Man? He was my favorite growing up. Is he Marvel? Okay, all right. So those two would be on different, all right. And there's all these movies now, and I don't know who's died and come back to life, and, you know, and I, I can't even keep track of it all. Um, but is that, was, that our, was that our savior? He was just a superhero who walked around saving the world from crime, swooping in and using his superpowers to fight off the, the bandits. That's the image that we have of a super... And, and can I say that some of that mentality is the reason people rejected Jesus? Because they wanted that kind of savior, messiah? or at least a political king who could throw off the Romans, who could be like a Roman or a Greek mythical god who would come in, and, and particularly for the Jews, they would be the ones who would be the conquering heroes, right? Jesus didn't come that way. He emptied himself in that he surrendered the independent exercise of his divine attributes. We'll have to stop there before we go to 4 and 5 next week. Uh, I know that was... Uh, quite a bit there, but questions or comments? Derek. Yes. 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 He, he was 40 days with fasting, but right, he didn't tap into his superpowers in the sense, miracle working powers, his divinity to And he was tempted all forty days. He went into the wilderness and he was tempted all forty days. And then at the end of the forty days there was the the three particular temptations from Satan. But Oh, when Satan said um, turn these stones into bread. Good point. Good point. Earl? Oh, I'm sorry. Yes. He submitted even that to the will of the Father. 
Great point. Earl? Okay, right. You only got one more left. <laughs> A diamond, a diamond has to be proven that it's a diamond. But it was a diamond, is a diamond, will be a diamond before, during, and after the testing. The character of that diamond never changed, but it was tested. Jesus was God and he was sinless in his humanity and obviously sinless and holy as God. And he was tested tempted like in all, in all points like as we are, yet without sin. He's touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He never ceased to be God. He never ceased to be human. 100% God, 100% man. Again, that just, it's overwhelming. But good, good point. Yes, David. Yeah, right. Exactly. It, it really does. It shows the... the uh, the magnificent sacrifice. Yeah, good point. Anything else? No? All right, let's close in prayer, and uh, then we'll uh, be dismissed and get ready for the service in about 15 minutes. Lord, we thank you for this Sunday school hour. Thank you, Lord, for your word and the truth. The word became flesh and dwelt beyond our ability to even describe in words, Lord. And we're made speechless by the magnificence of your sacrifice. And Lord, we thank you for that. Thank you for these truths. May they settle in our hearts. And Lord, stir us to live uh, for you in even more obedient and greater ways to your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for being here. We'll get ready for the service in about 15 minutes.